Hello and welcome to the inaugural podcast of the Detroit Book Review, where we'll find out what Metro Detroit readers are up to, and we do it by talking to booksellers. I'll be talking with three bookstore owners and staff on a regular basis. Carrie Lauren of BookBeat in Oak Park, Susan Murphy of Page's Bookshop in Detroit, and at this moment, I'm sitting with Janet Webster-Jones of Source Booksellers on Cass Avenue in Detroit. Welcome. Thank you. Your store uh, carries a variety of books, but specializes in nonfiction, correct? Well, we're primarily a nonfiction bookstore, so our books are in four, uh, five major categories. History and culture, health and well-being, books by and about women, metaphysical, spiritual, new age, and the arts. And those are our nonfiction categories, and we do the same for uh, young readers. So we have the same categories of books for young readers as well. Oh, that's and so we say primarily nonfiction because it is primarily. We do have a small amount of science fiction, poetry, and prize-winning novels, but that's to keep our snooty index in check. <laughs> <laughs> and also to offer some for other readers as well, for oh, readers of those okay. things as well. Well, you have four books here that you want to talk about. Uh, they look pretty interesting. Let's jump right into it. Okay, so the first one is Rebecca Solnit, who is a prolific writer. She's written a, a number of books. This is the one that's essays called Call Me By Their Names, and she calls them An American Crisis in Essays. Her works are very important because it's a female voice writing about the issues of the day and the crises that we're confronting. This book has categories in electoral catastrophes, American emotions, American Edges, and the last one is Possibilities. So she's going the gamut between those categories in this book. She has a, another book that made her quite popular because the title was very grabbing. It was called Men Explain Things to Me. And this one is, again, Call, call them, them By, by Their, their True Names. names. Mm -hmm. And there's yeah. a subtitle there as well. Yes, the subtitle is American Crises. And essays. Mm -hmm. and Rebecca Solnit. Solnit. And her last name is S-O-L-N-I-T. So she's the author of 20 or so books on feminism, Western and indigenous history, popular power, social change, and insurrection. She's done quite a bit of thinking about the current crises that we're all experiencing. And I see you have a book there by the great Toni Morrison. Yes, this is a nonfiction book by Toni Morrison, very well known for her novels and also her personal reading of all of her novels. This is her most recent gift to all of us, as James McBride said in his review of the book in the Sunday Book Review of the New York Times. He said, she doesn't need to give us anything more. She's given us so much. But this is her latest gift, Selected Essays, Speeches, and Meditations by Toni Morrison. It has some categories. The first is called The Foreigner's Home, and she's really talking about people coming from so many different places, inhabitants, the impact that they have on a place as well as what the place does to them. That is such a provocative and poetic yeah. title, The yes. Foreigner's Home. Yes, The Foreigner's Home. And uh, the one that I'm, I'm reading into this one myself in pieces and parts, but she did a beautiful piece on women, race, and memory. Uh, then her second category is interlude, Black Matters, and in parentheses, S, Matters. She does a tribute here to Martin Luther King. She talks about unspeakable things that are unspoken, and, and she's talking really about the presence of African-American presence uh, in American literature, which is very powerful. 
And then her third category is called God's Language, and she does a eulogy to James Baldwin, in which she really talks to Baldwin about how he helped her know herself. This is a, a bit of a moment for Baldwin, what with um, uh, the Beale Street movie. Well, Baldwin's work uh, was prophetic when he was writing it, and it continues to be, uh, because he's writing out of a true self and writing about the universality of experiences in the Western world, in the United States in particular. And yes, there's been quite a resurgence in interest in Baldwin, and it didn't just come from the movie. It came from uh, other writers who have drawn on his background and expertise to be inspired. The one that I'm thinking of first is Ta-Nehisi Coates, who says that, and, and gives a tribute to Baldwin in the title, Between the World and Me, in which he writes uh, that book, which was a large, large bestseller. He, he writes it as a letter to his son, as Baldwin wrote his book, A Letter to My Nephew, which okay. is a fire next time. I also think about the young man who wrote the book, Heavy. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, uh, seems Kesey, yeah, Layman, mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. much inspired by him. right. He and also of uh, Jasmine Ward. Ah, uh, yes, yes. She yes. edited a book called The Fire This Time, yeah. and she was inspired also by James Baldwin to pull together a variety of people in that book to talk about issues of today and and the inspiration that they all have received from uh, James Baldwin. So all of that came before the Beale Street book. Right. Uh, interest in his work has really uh, taken a new turn during this time of Black Lives Matter, of uh, issues around immigration, uh, issues around racism and demonization of black men who are killed unnecessarily, in my opinion. So his um, his work is very strong. Plus, uh, had moved to uh, France and in the end died in France. And so he had a way of being able to look at the crises of that time from afar. So our next book we're going to discuss is uh, Stephen L. Carter's. Mm-hmm. Stephen Carter is a, a lawyer and he's a novelist, by and large. He's the author of The Emperor of Ocean Park. But he's taken off on a new turn by writing the story of his grandmother, who was a lawyer in New York, an African-American woman. It's called The Forgotten Story of a Black Woman Lawyer Who Took Down America's Most Powerful Mobster. Mm-hmm. That's quite a subtitle. Mm-hmm. And the, the, mm-hmm. the title of the book is Invisible. Right, yeah. because she was not really seen. Indeed. She wasn't observed by anybody because she was an African-American woman. She was working in the law firm. So she had a capacity for not being seen in more than mm-hmm. one way. Not only was she out in the open, but people didn't pay any attention to her. So it's, that's the, that kind of invisibility. Stephen Carter has written quite a few books, too. He's quite prolific, and his it's really his avocation because he's a lawyer by day. So he's written a long list of books that are mostly uh, novels, but really he does have some nonfiction in there as well. He's a busy individual. He's busy. Yeah, he's got a busy mind. (laughs) Uh, And is this a food book we're looking at? Yes, we're looking at Sister Pie by Lisa Ledwinski, who is a native Detroiter. She opened a bakery up on the east side of Detroit in the Indian Village, West Village area. And it's my understanding that she was kind of inquired to by publisher to create a book. 
Hmm. And she did a, a neighborhood bakery called Sister Pie, specializing in pies, both sweet and savory. She put together this a book of recipes and stories of a big-hearted bakery in Detroit. She has said, and I've heard her say more than one time, she's not going anywhere. She wants to be in Detroit. Her people have had business in Detroit, and so she had a sensitivity for business. It's called Sister Pie because she and her sister would call each other that. So it sounds like it has come from someplace else. But she just won one of the James Beard Awards for this book for 2019. So she's one of our local people that has created a, a wonderful book for us. And the photographs are just lovely. You want to just crunch down on the paper. <laughs> She also has cookies, but that's about the extent of what they do is pies and cookies. In reverse order, we just got through talking about Sister Pie mm-hmm. uh, by Lisa Ludwinski, mm-hmm. Invisible by mm-hmm. uh, Stephen L. Carter, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard, and the last one here is Call Them by Their True Names, an American Crisis in Essays by Rebecca Solnit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Janet. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm Kim Hunter, and this is the Detroit Book Review, where Metro booksellers give us the latest on what they're recommending. And right now I'm with Colleen Kammer, co-owner of BookBeat on Greenfield in Oak Park, Michigan. Colleen, thanks for showing up. You have a book about reading. Right. We have The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction, and it's by Megan Cox Gurdon, the children's book critic since 2004 at the Wall Street Journal. And she's a mother of five. She read to her children for 20 years. She decided she had to do this book a few years ago when her last child that she was reading to, who was about 15, she thought it might be towards the end of reading to her, and she started gathering information about this topic, and she put it together, like surveys and meeting with people and her own experience, and she said she was passing the baton to us. If people read her book, I think we will reach more people who need to know this information. I always think when we don't read to children, we're wasting them. That verse to three, if we can do this, their brains will expand and language development. When they get to school, I think they'll be able to reach their potential. That's what, to me, it's really all about, is if we can let people be their potential. And when you when you talk about brain expanding, you were mentioning a study. They were studying children who were being read to. Can you talk about that a little bit? In, her, in the book, she was saying they did a study with so at MRIs, they did ones where children were read to or they were read to and showed images from books or they just had a screen. And the most brain activity that was lighting up for the doctors to see was when you were reading to a child and they were seeing the pictures in the book. They were making all these connections, and when they were doing the screen, the brain was inactive. This is really talking about the imagination. Right. They, their imagination had nothing to do with what was being done for them. There was nothing for it to do, so it was placid. It didn't have to do anything. To read about this um, when we're in this time when there's so much technology these gadgets that we have, they might not be giving what people think they're promising. And this old-fashioned method, this reading, is more empowering. 
And it's a humanizing connection as well. Right. Yes. That's one That's one of the things she talks about, her relationship with her children. She, she talked about a story of when, before she was married, when she was with her fiancé, she went to a dinner party, and during cocktails, the hostess left the room, and she took a while to come back. And then they asked, well, is everything okay? Oh, no, oh she's just his reading to the children. Mm. She's filed that in her brain, that if she had children, that's what she would do, and that's what she did. So she talks about that. When she brought her baby home, that's a first thing she goes I have to read to the baby her journey with that and also the idea of reading for all ages do not give up reading after you learn to read still if your child wants to do that continue until they don't want to do it yes she read to her children she said the last one was 15 years old she was right and then she talks about there's an organization in London that was having money for different organizations to work with the elderly and different and getting them to read or to read to them. And then she talked about before people had all the books and how orators, I mean, they just had to memorize everything and that it is about storytelling too. All of us who believe this can't even imagine somebody not being read to. And that's what I hear from my customers all the time. But that's not reality. So if we could... It's not the majority of people. Right. If the child is read to early from birth on, they will go to school, really be their potential. You mentioned gender release, and you mentioned earlier that uh, he put out a book in 1982, the year that this store was opened. The Read Aloud Handbook. It was called, and he he talked about what she's talking about, like the purpose of it, but he also would always give lists of the books that he thought for different ages that worked well because he had used them and he knew what was working well, so people would buy that book to get good ideas of what was a good read aloud. And his book hasn't been updated in nine years that I can know, that I've noticed. So I'm hoping he's passing a baton if he's not going to do it again. If there's another person who will do the read aloud handbook, but until then, this is um, a jewel of a book, and I'm hoping people will give it to their superintendents, and the superintendents will give it to their principals, and they will share this information because it's not enough to get it when you're in preschool or the end of preschool you have to get it really at the most at the earliest like we have to reach people and say try it the earliest you can and and one of my favorite customers the book collector toby holtzman in his obituary i always tell people his last message to people was read to your children and grandchildren take them to libraries and bookstores. That was his big message and i love that and once again uh this book is called the enchanted hour the Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. By Megan Cox. Gurdon. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Kim Hunter. Welcome to the Detroit Book Review, where we find out what Detroiters are reading and what independent booksellers are recommending. I'm at Page's Bookshop on Grand River in Detroit, talking with owner Susan Murphy. And Susan, yours is the newest independent bookstore in Detroit. How long have you been here, and how did you know the community was going to embrace your effort? I've been here four years, and my anniversary is at the end of the month. I opened as a pop-up down the street in a coffee shop for about four months before I actually opened the bookstore to test the market and get a chance to know the neighbors. So I had a really good feeling 
that this tight-knit community in Grand Mount Rosedale would support me, and they have. And you have uh, two novels that you want to share with us today, and what's the first one you want to talk about? The first is White Elephant. Um, it's a novel by Julie Langsdorf, and this is her first novel. And the other book is Women Talking. It's a novel by Miriam Toes, and it is also, it's a novel about women trying to take control of their lives. And the first book, White Elephant, is about a town being gentrified big time. Yes, it is. It's a suburb of Washington, D.C., and it's a long-established, tight-knit community that a builder moves in to thinking that he's going to create the community that he believes it should be. So he is in the process of tearing down and building up mansions that's hovering over some Sears catalog-built homes that have dominated the neighborhood for years. So there's a lot of tension between the families who are there, new families coming in, and definitely with the builder. This will be a story that a lot of folks in Detroit can relate to, unfortunately, uh, because our town is undergoing some gentrification. I have a personal story to tell you that some of those homes in my neighborhood are Sears (laughs) homes, those catalog homes. If folks aren't familiar, those homes were sold in, I guess you could say, chunks. You would buy the home from Sears. And they would ship you the parts and the parts would be put together there on site, which is an amazing concept, modular long before we uh, thought about that. Right. The town I came from also had the Sears home. So I looked into them and what a concept, um, but totally opposite of the new construction that we see today. And your second novel that you want to talk about is uh, Women Talking with uh, Miriam Toes as the author. That's how we're pronouncing her name. Her name is spelled T-O-E-W-S. We hope we're pronouncing that correctly. This is a book that is relevant to, I would say, the Me Too era. Yes, it's a book about a community, remote community, that has downplayed women's roles in their life, even though, of course, the women pretty much do most of the everything in the town that needs to be done. However, they're not educated. Most of them cannot either read or write. And there's been some sexual violence in the town. And it turns out that some people living there are actually responsible. So it puts women in a position that they have to decide what are they going to do? Are they going to leave? Are they going to try to stand up to the men? And it's a long-running conversation in the book about their choices that they have and how they make that decision. And this can't be easy because they can't simply go away and they have to actually interact with the perpetrators. Right. In some cases, it's their sons and brothers and uncles. And so it's a it's a very difficult choice. Plus, it runs against their way of living, which is all about God and the family and keeping tight relationships with that. And the women have made a huge commitment to the men in their lives. So it's a it's a choice from their conscience. They don't know the outside world. It isn't that they're trying to figure out what other people are doing. They just have to make this decision on their own. And once again, White Elephant uh, by Julie Langsdorf and Women Talking by Miriam Toes. In terms of what people are buying, you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Right. The shoppers here are very eclectic. And so I sell books across genres. But a couple of my big ones are poetry. And current big seller in that has been Heart Talk by Cleo Wade. Fiction category, which that's the majority of my sales, a local author, Stephen Mac Jones, came out with a second novel, Lives Laid Away. and But his first novel that introduced the characters was August Snow. August Snow is still selling very well here. Essays are doing well in the store right now. I Miss You When You Blink is a brand new book of essays out. And then a classic, The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin is selling really well. Baldwin came up in the interview with Janet Jones of uh, Source Booksellers as well. There we were talking about him being an inspiration for essays by Toni Morrison as well. Well, thank you very much, Susan, for sharing uh, what Detroiters are reading and what you're recommending. Happy to be here. That is going to do it for this edition of the Detroit Book Review, originally posted on Independent Bookstore Day 2019. And naturally, all the books mentioned and reviewed in this episode can be found or ordered at your local independent bookstore. I'm Kim Hunter, and my thanks to the folks at the BookBeat, Pages Bookshop, and Source Booksellers for helping to make this podcast possible. The music you hear is Shake It from Under the Stars by Kilo Kaz. Listen in again next month when Detroit booksellers will talk about books worthy of your irreplaceable time.